Unlock your Bible. Discover the true meaning of life. Learn the cause of world problems and the astounding solution. Prove for yourself what the future holds. In the Trumpet Literature Library, you will find answers to life's most important questions. Explore these vital titles on Trumpet Bookshelf. Welcome to Trumpet Bookshelf. I'm Grant Turgeon. We're broadcasting to you from the Edmond, Oklahoma campus of Herbert W. Armstrong College. You can listen to any of these radio shows at kpcg.fm. This is the KPCG radio station. Now, it has been a long time since I've been on the radio. A lot of things have been changing with the schedule and with different people's work schedules. But last time on Trumpet Bookshelf, I talked about God's church, how it started, the seven church eras, the great false church that throughout history for 2,000 years has persecuted the one true church. And today I just want to talk about specifically the first church era. This is just fascinating history. You can actually pinpoint the exact date that the first church era, the Ephesus era, began. It was on June 17th, Pentecost, A.D. 31. On this day, God's church, all of the members of the church, received the Holy Spirit. The very power of God to do his work. That's what it was all about. This power was noticeable to anyone else around them. This power definitely made God's people stand out. And in fact, God's people stood out to a Bible supervillain, you could call him. A man named Simon Magus. He wanted this power too. But first, before we get into that, let's just look at the description of the Ephesus era in Revelation chapter 2. This is in verses 1 through 5. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your works and your labor and your patience and how you cannot bear them which are evil and you have tried them which say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars and have borne and have patience and for my name's sake have labored and have not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from whence you are fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto you quickly, and will remove your candlestick out of his place, except you repent. So this is the description of the Ephesus era. It also goes on in Revelation 2, verse 6. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. This passage is describing a church era, an era of the one true church of God, the Ephesus era, that really was under constant attack by a great counterfeit church 
This is why they had to labor. This is why they had to cast out evil people from the church. False apostles within God's own church trying to subvert the truth, trying to lead the brethren astray, as this passage points out. And they did have to have a lot of patience, a lot of discernment. They had to keep working hard to stay awake spiritually, as it says there in verse 3, that they have not fainted. But verse 4 shows where the Ephesus era fell short. Eventually, the Ephesus era got worn down by the persecution. Verse 4 says, you have left your first love. That's what the Ephesus people of God's church were going through. Eventually, they got tired of fighting for God, and they caved in. The reason this is so important to us today, even though this took place 2,000 years ago almost, is because the, the dominant characteristics in each of the seven church eras are also pres- present throughout the church, not just in that one era, but all down through history. So even though the Ephesus era is remembered for leaving its first love, that fiery passion that they once had for God's truth, it's still very possible for those of us in God's church today to fall into the same trap. And in fact, for us today, it's so much easier for us to lose our first love. Now, this is talking about putting God first. Everything we do, everything we say, everything we think about, where God comes first. We spend our time with him. We give him our very best effort, the best of our resources in supporting the work being done today through the Philadelphia Church of God. But what happens if we start to let distractions creep in? If we start to care about TV, movies, video games, entertainment, whatever it might be out in the world, a career, a romantic relationship, anything that we put ahead of God will most certainly cause us to leave our first love. We won't be as excited about the riches of truth in the Holy Bible anymore. We won't care quite as much about doing God's work. Now, as we will see, God's work is all about delivering a specific message to the world. Throughout history, God's people have been persecuted for delivering the truth. In fact, this is what the great false church really tried to to blot out. They didn't want the truth to go out. Led by this great sorcerer, Simon Magus, the false church 
pursued God's true church throughout the ages and to this day. There is always conflict between the true church and the false church. The false church hates the true message, the true gospel message, which is the good news of the coming kingdom of God. This spirit born family of God that at Christ's return will rule over the entire earth for a thousand years. That's good news. Why would anyone hate something like that? Why did Simon Magus despise this God family vision? It's because he was impacted, he was swayed and led by Satan the devil. It doesn't make sense to hate a message like that otherwise. Now, as Philadelphia Church of God Pastor General Gerald Fleury points out in his book, The True History of God's True Church, not enough emphasis has been placed on the false church in the recording of church history. Oftentimes, People might say, well, a variety of different sources or people persecuted God's church. But in reality, the blame has to be put on one specific church started up and led by one specific man. This church today has over a billion followers exercises great political power in many nations. Historically, it has paired with dominant nations to impose its beliefs on everyone else, even if that meant massive, unfathomable bloodshed. This is a violent church. Meanwhile, God's one true church doesn't go to war doesn't hurt anybody but you see how even that can be a counterfeit people can look at religion in general the false religions led astray by the devil and say look how violent they are look how violent this church is that's always pairing with nations to attack anyone who disagrees with them and these false religions can be used as a bad example to even discredit God's one true church, really the most peaceful organization on the entire earth. So again, the Ephesus era, Revelation chapter 2, the beginning there, verses 1 through 6 mainly, how they left their first love, and largely it was because of the efforts of Simon Magus and his followers. They infiltrated God's true church. This is like something right out of a spy movie. They infiltrated and subverted God's own church. They tore it down from within. Now on Pentecost in AD 31, when the church received the Holy Spirit, and soon after that, when thousands more people were converted and joined the church, it never seemed like within a couple decades everything would fall apart. 
And yet that's exactly what happened. Satan always attacks. He never gives up. He never takes a day off. He is absolutely relentless, especially when it comes to attacking God's true church. And it is human nature to give in or to let down and get discouraged in the face of persecution. That's what happened to the Ephesus era. Galatians 1, the Apostle Paul records a warning and some correction to the Galatian congregation, the people in Galatia. And this, again, is during the first church era, the Ephesus era, not long after Jesus Christ started the church. Galatians 1, starting in verse 6. This is the Apostle Paul speaking or writing. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And then verses 8 and 9, Paul pronounces a double curse on anybody who preaches another gospel. Anyone who pretends to be a true minister of God and yet preaches a different, a false gospel. Paul says twice in a row, let him be accursed. These ministers of Simon Magus knew better. And yet what they wanted was power. They hated the God family vision. They preached that God's perfect law is done away that because Christ died for our sins, there's no need to obey the perfect law anymore. Now, there are a lot of scriptures to disprove that false belief, but just think about it logically. If God created the Ten Commandments, this perfect law that really would solve all world problems if properly applied... And then Jesus Christ, his own son, had to die because we broke these laws. Why would God then be okay with us continuing to break these laws? The very sins that killed his son. And he's just going to say, well, yeah, just keep going ahead and doing that. Sure, it killed my son, but you can keep on acting that way it doesn't make any sense at all and and paul wrote all about that too it's just it does defy logic when we really think about it romans 1 romans 6 verses 1 and 2 paul writes what shall we say then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound god forbid Yes, we are human. We are flawed. We do fall short. But the point is, we should be striving for perfection. Matthew 5, verse 48. We should be striving to obey God's law. Not to discard it and make no effort at all to live a better way of life after receiving and believing on Christ's sacrifice. 
Christ died for those sins. God hates those sins. And just because those that penalty is paid for now for anyone who accepts Christ's sacrifice doesn't mean we can just go right on doing the very things God hates, committing sin. And yet these ministers of Simon Magus taught that sin is just fine. They were perfect in lawlessness. They taught lawlessness, which is sick. You can see the effects of that in society all the time. When you do away with law, when you disregard law, when people behave however they want to and abuse each other, regardless of the law, it just causes misery and death. That is not a wholesome religious message. It is toxic. It's evil. And it's coming straight from this counterfeit church. And during the Ephesus era in the first century AD, these ministers of Simon Magus were spreading around this false message, telling the brethren it's okay to be totally lawless. There's another warning here in 2 Corinthians 11. Verses 13 through 15. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. These false ministers made themselves look so good, so righteous, and yet Satan is capable of doing the same thing. He can put on airs. He can pretend to be someone he's not to trick us. Of course his ministers can do that too. Simon Magus was a sorcerer, a magician. He worked fake miracles through the power of Satan. And yet the region of Samaria where he came from was infested with demons. The people were suffering from those demons. Now maybe Simon Magus could do some things that other people couldn't do, which would impress the people. But one thing is for certain, he wasn't casting demons out of those people. Satan doesn't cast out his own. These poor people were suffering from demonic possession and Simon Magus didn't help them at all. That's what his religion was all about. It's a religion of actual bondage, mental slavery. And Simon Magus knew that there is a greater power. There is a power greater than that provided by the devil that's why in Acts chapter 8, he tried to purchase God's Holy Spirit. Now, this passage is possibly the most blistering rebuke in the entire Bible. Just, just makes you shudder when you read it. At least it did for me. 
let's see, uh, not Romans 8, sorry, Acts, Acts chapter 8. This is a face-off between the chosen physical leader of God's one true church and the leader of Satan's church. God's church started in AD 31, and then the false church started in AD 33. Just two years later, this man, Simon Magus, tried to sneak in and get baptized and receive God's Holy Spirit because he knew that power was greater than the power that Satan gave to him. He wanted to use that power to trick more people. So here is what Peter said. Acts 8, starting in verse 20. Your money perish with you because you have thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I perceive that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. You see, Simon Magus tried to buy the Holy Spirit. Is there a church today that tries to make its believers buy certain favors, buy a certain place in the afterlife? Is everything solved by money for that church? Every problem people have? Just sending more of their money to the church for uh, a, a false promise of certain spiritual favors in return? That's interesting, isn't it? Peter said, your sin is so bad, you are so bitter and so hateful toward the one true gospel message that I don't even know if you can be forgiven. I don't even know, Simon, if you can ever change your mind to be repentant. That's how deep into the hatred that Simon was, where he probably wasn't even capable of repenting anymore. He was just bound up in this gall of bitterness and then Acts 8, verse 24, look at the way that Simon responded. Pray you to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. Simon Magus didn't respond by trying to pray to God. He didn't cry out for forgiveness. He wanted someone else to do the praying for him. Now again, does that sound familiar? Sure, it's fine as true Christians to pray for each other. That's great. But to expect someone else to do our own prayer for us. Where did that idea come from? Who follows that idea today? He didn't want to repent. He didn't want real forgiveness. He wanted Peter to do all the hard work for him. So this clash in Acts chapter eight, this strong rebuke by Peter to Simon surely was the start of a millennia long rivalry between the true church and the false church. You can imagine that Simon probably never forgot this moment. 
he probably let this moment dominate his thinking every day where he just wanted to assault God's church in any way he possibly could to try to get revenge. And as we saw in Revelation chapter 2, the church did eventually give in. They lost their passion for the truth. Simon told all kinds of lies and led a lot of people away. Simon taught that he personally created the angels. There was a prominent magician who worked under him named Menander. There was also a prostitute named Helen, who Simon said was the mother of all things. That false Babylonian mystery religion that even goes way back to Nimrod and the book of Genesis. This false religion where they try to take a few elements of the Old Testament and the New Testament truth and combine it with paganism. And they call it Christianity, but really it is Satan's religion. This is what the church in the first era, the Ephesus era, was up against. And all down through the ages to this very day, God's true church faces this threat and exposes this counterfeit. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Grant Turgeon. This has been Trumpet Bookshelf. You've been listening to Trumpet Bookshelf. Please email your thoughts to comments at kpcg.fm. Listen for new episodes every Friday at 10 a.m. Central Time.